Welcome to The Last Word on the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Every week we take a last look at the message from the most recent Crosstalk. Enjoy this short conversation and stay tuned for the full message directly after. Welcome to The Last Word. I'm Paulina on staff here at Crosstalk. We have JD with us today. I am super grateful to be here on this Monday morning, mostly awake at this point after encounter last weekend. Yeah. yeah. And our own crosstalk intern, Johnny. What's going on? Um, well, we were just talking about how with encounter this week, where feels like last crosstalk was a while ago, but mm-hmm. I really, as I was thinking about your message, I was thinking about an icebreaker question that I always remember and Uh-oh. I feel like it'll connect to the message but I won't make Let's you guys answer yeah. I just like the icebreaker and it's the icebreaker question that says if you could do anything without failing what would it be so I was thinking about that because it feels like it's connected to what you talked about JD with mm-hmm. calling and how what if I could replace that icebreaker and say if I could do anything knowing that I'm not relying on my own strengths Mm -hmm. and abilities, but instead on God's calling, what would I do? Mm -hmm. And I feel like it feels similar tied in that way. And I felt challenged by your message about how just that idea and trying to go and do and live out with courage, the calling that um, God has for my life. And so how can we how do y'all think we can do that and actively start stepping into those things if somebody's wrestling with an idea of a calling and trying to feel out if that's something God does have? Johnny, you might be in this right now, mm-hmm. um, just as far as like, I think that's something that really defines college. Um, and so how can we see God's calling as safe and secure, just knowing that it's God's calling? I think that there are two things in that. The first of which is that we are prone to our own insecurities and we're prone Mm -hmm. to a spirit of fear. And the first of which is we have to recognize that that is like not of God. That like Mm -hmm. those fears, those insecurities are part of what it means to be human, but those things are not reality. Mm -hmm. Like those things are not Mm -hmm. true and they don't define us. And we have to step away from allowing those things to define us because when we become controlled by fear, we're never going to do anything. And Mm -hmm. then on the flip side of that, I think that the big thing that we see here in uh, Acts chapter 13 is that it's a community activity. Mm -hmm. And so this is something that's not like calling is individual and we have an individual calling, but discernment of that calling is a communal activity. And so engaging with our community of faith that's around us, so whether that is your church community or your community group or even Mm -hmm. just your roommates and sharing those things Mm -hmm. that you think God is doing in your heart and then asking for them to help you discern that calling is really going to be a massive step in that because so often for many of us, it's like, hey, I think I'm feeling this. And then Johnny will say, oh my gosh, I totally see that Mm. in your life. And it's like, Mm. there's some affirmation from Johnny as he's helping me to discern that calling. And Mm. then we see specifically in this passage that they worship together, that they pray together and that they fast together. And so if we are using that as our model, then those are the things that we should be doing with those people in our life. And that's really going to help us Mm. to determine God's direction for Mm. us. 
Yeah, that was that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> and Paulina, you're right. I am kind of in the middle of this where I'm reaching the end of college mm-hmm. and wondering what's next. And uh, I mean, I know it's ministry, but I don't know what in ministry exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a pastor position would be p- cool, but there's no telling if I'm going to hop into that. And it's, you know, more than likely not going to happen as smoothly as that. Um, and I don't know about y'all, but every ministry position I've ever taken as, you know, a crosstalk leader, discipling someone, a youth pastor, I've never felt ready going into it. And I've always had to take that kind of step of faith mm-hmm. going into it. And I've never regretted doing that. Mm-hmm. And no matter how ready I was or how, you know, um, adequate I felt, God always used I guess my unique story to write uh, another unique story in mm. in ministry, and it's cool because thinking of every position, it's been you know not me writing the story, but just me being a character in a book that God is writing. Whether that book was you know me being the youth pastor at a church or me being a crosstalk leader, and it's crazy to think if I didn't take that step of you know leap of faith, then that book never would have been written. And that's crazy because it's such an awesome story. All of them uh, have been awesome stories in my life and in other people's lives that are meeting people uniquely where they're at. And it's crazy because that book could have easily not been written if I decided, you know, I don't feel ready, so I'm just not going to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know what's in the future, but I feel ready. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I feel feel like Mm -hmm. perfectly adequately inadequate you know (laughs) that's a great way of saying that johnny yeah yeah Yeah, that really is um i like that a lot i like seeing it currently for you and thinking about like a couple years from now if you re-listen to this podcast episode you know like how much is god gonna show you between all of us you know but specifically highlighting johnny um is gonna how much is god gonna show you between now and then and another part that i really have been thinking about is what you said jd about people and community and mentors specifically I was thinking about mentors or people that disciple us. And I wanted to ask y'all just what has been the importance of that in your life? JD, you talked Ooh. about this on Thursday, mm-hmm. um, but maybe if there's a different part yeah, of that. Um, and then also if somebody, like if we're looking for a mentor or a person to disciple us, how do we do that? What? Who do we need to be looking for? How do we start that process? But if somebody is really wanting that, how do we, how do they go about that? Totally. I think first on the like discipleship side of things, I would not be following Jesus today without Dave Pound. And I will use his name here because that that man single handedly pursued me into following Jesus. (laughs) I think I told him no 99 times before I said yes. And he just didn't take no for an answer. And And once I said yes to meeting with him, to being in community with him, to being accountable to him, he just showed me so much love and grace as I felt like I still needed to prove, like to test whether like everything that people tell you is fun about college is actually fun. And it's like, I made every mistake there was, I was able to make in the book and he just kept showing up in my life and pointing me to Jesus and it took hold. And that pursuit and that love and that grace from him are really the things that changed my life. And he gave me all of the practical tools of following Jesus, which are great. But the primary thing that he did in my life is he just loved me. Mm. And he kept inviting me and he kept staying in relationship with me. And he kept showing me love and grace when I, quite frankly, just didn't deserve it anymore. And I think that 
when it comes to finding someone to disciple you, uh, finding someone to meet up with or mentor you, whatever terminology you want Mm -hmm. to use in that sense, the biggest thing to be looking for is like who keeps showing up in your life and won't Mm -hmm. go away. Like (laughs) that being like, who is the person in your life who is that person in your community that continues to pursue you even when you don't want to be pursued by them. Mm -hmm. And then if you can't identify somebody in that way, okay, who are the people that I look up to? Mm-hmm. Who are the people who are a stage of life in a stage of life that is ahead of me mm-hmm. that I really look up to their example and I can see them doing things the way that I would want to do them? And can I ask them to teach me? Can I ask them and not even necessarily to teach me, but just to like be willing to walk through life with me. Mm-hmm. So much of discipleship is just doing life with one another. Yeah. There's a lot of like practical things that can happen in that. And there's a lot of right ways to do discipleship, but primarily it's just doing life with one another. And that's going to have the greatest impact of mm-hmm. all of them. So find somebody you want to do life with and then do life, ask them to do mm-hmm. life with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. If I did not have a mentor in college uh, and many mentors that I've had in college, I would definitely be nowhere where I am today and I would be lost in my journey because like once you accept Jesus, you know, I feel like the next step is finding a mentor and having them help you kind of be guided through, you know, the Bible and through life and everything. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call, you know, at Crosstalk is Strands one-on-one meetups. And so my freshman year, I, you know, really accepted Jesus, uh, you know, re-invited him into my life and I decided to read the Bible cover to cover and gosh, the questions that I would get uh, reading the Bible, you know, going through, you know, Leviticus and Revelations <laughs> and yeah. um, it was just so good to have someone to just ask every little and big question to. And mm-hmm. not only that, but, you know, me now being on the other side, I'll just meet up with a guy and I'll be like, what do you need in order to grow within your relationship? Uh, because I knew that that's what I needed at that stage of my life is, Maybe it's not someone that I need to ask questions to, or maybe it's someone that like what JD and I do a lot is that I just get to talk about life and reflect on how my week's been going, how everything in my life's been going. And there's something so, I guess, nice about that because, you know, not a lot of people that are, you know, not Christian get to do that with someone, get to be like, here's what's going on in my life. Mm -hmm. And like, you could just be ears for me and Uh, point me to Jesus in every little Mm. aspect of my life. And that was something that really helped me grow. Um, And yeah, I think something to look forward to or look for in like a mentor would be someone that I guess you just feel comfortable being able to open up to. Um, And it might be tough at first, but, you know, I think that's important Mm. is, you know, you want to be able to actually you know sit down and tell them the real stuff you don't want to be talking about surface level stuff really uh and yeah i think what jd said is someone that's just there all the time that wants to show up because there are people there and i i try to tell like new guys and girls across i'm like just go up to any leader and ask Mm -hmm. them to meet up with you weekly they're down to do it um so you just gotta ask you gotta be willing um and hopefully they'll reach out to you but yeah Mm -hmm. being having a mentor has been the game changer in just shaping who I am as a Christian. 
Yeah, it makes me think both of the things that y'all said about how the people that show up in our lives. And it also reminds me of the idea of being qualified and how we don't need to then wait and reach a level where we are now qualified to show up in other people's lives. It's a both and, you know, so it is being poured into, but it's also be the person that continually shows up and invites someone like JD 99 times, you know, and, and that continues to love on people really well, especially the people that God is highlighting specifically Mm -hmm. for us and gives us favor with. Um, And I just see how that's so important. And when it's happening together, it's really healthy Mm -hmm. for all of us involved. And uh, I wrote down something that you said, JD, um, and it was that it doesn't matter how far you go with calling, just go. And I think it's similar for our calling individually and like this idea of showing up for people. It's like, it doesn't matter, you know, like if that person who that person, you know, just, but if God is highlighting that person, just go and then just go into your calling. Um, and so I would want to leave the last word on the last word for you, JD, as always, if you have anything that you would add or that you want to point us to next week or looking Mm -hmm. at the rest of this. Absolutely. I I think it is very simply let's go as a community of crosstalk. Mm -hmm. Let's go, let's pursue people. Let's love people really, really well. And the coolest part about that, and I think that the fear and the um, like feelings of inadequacy, all of those insecurities just place us in a position of dependence upon the Lord. It places us in a position of trust that he has to provide, that he is the one who makes us adequate, that he is the one who raises us up and empowers us to be forces Mm. for Christ in Mm. our communities. And I think that it's just like, we just got to go and we got to trust that God is faithful to do his work when we go. Even if we are not sure 100% of what the direction is, go. God is faithful to do his work in that space. And that's ultimately what we're going to continue to see in the book of Acts as we go forward is the story of Peter and Paul and all of these other people. They're walking into unknown fearful situations, but they go trusting that God is going to make them adequate, that God is the one who is doing the calling and he is faithful to do his work in the life of the believer. So stay tuned and we will see you guys next week. So good to be with you guys. Uh, If this is your first time here, you guys haven't been here for a long time. My name is JD. I have the distinct privilege of serving as the Crosstalk Pastor here with Cypress Creek Church. Uh, I was reflecting this week. I was actually doing a lot of reflecting with Encounter coming up this weekend and just kind of the message and the scripture that we're going to be studying today. And I have now been, I started, and I believe I have this right, I worked for one week and then we did Encounter last year. So we're right around, I've been here for a year, which feels like an incredibly long time and also feels like it's been no time whatsoever. Uh, That's also my experience with college. It felt like it was the longest four years of my life. And at the same time, look back and I was like, that just wasn't very long at all. But in thinking about those things, I I was actually reflecting uh, on all things I, it was two days before everything shut down that I went out and uh, I have a really special river that I used to get to paddle a lot. And that's where I got to propose to my now wife, Taylor, which was a really, really beautiful thing. And then as soon as we literally were coming back in and they were shutting everything down. And so we went into quarantine basically the day that we got engaged. And quarantine for most people, I feel like it was a really miserable sort of experience. 
And I feel like I'm in the vast minority when I say that I actually thought it was pretty rad like, for me, but I was living in the middle of nowhere. I was living on a property that had 1400 acres with a river and like a 200 foot tall cliff. It was like a vacation for me. Basically, it was all of the parts of my job that dealt with hosting a bunch of guests out on this property I didn't have to do anymore. So I just had the property all to myself to go play, which was awesome. I didn't have to share it with anybody anymore. And what happened during quarantine was that I had all of these projects around camp that we were able to get done because it was the only time that we'd never had any guests on property. So normally during the spring, you have 600 people a week that are rolling through this property. And so you can't go and you can't like build a new house or you can't like fix buildings because people are living currently in those buildings. And so for us, while most people were stuck in their homes during quarantine, I was actually building homes. And so I spent the vast majority of my time like framing walls, pouring foundations, putting in windows, roofing, things of that nature. And truly, and I believe this in my heart of hearts, that Roofing is the worst possible job that you could have during a Texas summer. Standing, not only are you standing at height, working in a dangerous environment, but you're also just getting cooked by the sun. And we were putting these corrugated metal roofs on these buildings. And so I was getting hit in the back by the sun. And then as I was laying sheets of roofing down, they're metal. And so it's just reflecting back off and hitting me in the face too. And so it felt like I was a baked potato more than anything. And there was one day... and that I remember I I got so cooked by the sun that the inside of my nostrils got sunburned because of all of the reflection off of the roof, the inside of my nostrils got sunburned. But that, that is completely not the point. But I was working on building all of these homes and I was building cabins and helping to finish out a lot of the things that we didn't have time for. And one of the projects I got to work on was we built these cool cabins, they're called birdhouses. They're shaped exactly like a stereotypical birdhouse. I wish I had a picture, but we built them and we elevated them off the ground, just like a birdhouse. And so to get into them, we didn't have any stairs yet. And so it was my job to, to build the stairs, build a nice landing and then you go up, you know, it's kind of like typical, come up to a landing turn, go up to the, to the rest of it. And I was really struggle. They're, they're on the side of a hill. So it was a, a bit difficult to get everything in my mind straight on how to do this, to get the stairs to land right at the bottom of the building. And so I was spending all of this time trying to conceptualize how to put these things together and like how to pour the foundations and all of this and out at camp. And Becca knows this, there's, there's no cell service. And so you're like completely, you can't call for help. And so we have these radios and so you communicate over this miserable radio, which works about 50% of the time, depending where you are on the property. And I call one of the maintenance guys. I'm like, Robert, I need help. I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. And we spend about five minutes going back and forth over the radio, hearing about every other sentence, trying where he's trying to explain to me how to build this like the stairs and the landing and all of this. And he's like, well, you take the two by 12. And I'm like, I don't have a two by 12. Like, what are you talking about? And so we get to this point where both of us are really frustrated with the whole process. And finally, he's like, I'm just going to come help you. So he drives all the way over to come help me. And it, he literally took him less than 30 seconds to explain what took us like five minutes on the radio to get more confused about. And it, in, in that 30 seconds, everything that I needed to do made perfect sense to me. And I think that sometimes in life, we just need someone to come in and point us in the right direction so we can get started. 
or at least I do. There are a lot of times in my life where I don't know what direction to go or how to start something, and I just need people around me who who can help me get started, that can just point me in the right direction because I just end up toiling all by myself, wasting a bunch of time trying to do something when somebody else can see the solution because they're outside of the situation. And I think that we all have these sorts of experiences in our life. And in college, maybe that's where to live or who to live with. Those are are massive. They feel like very important decisions. Who we choose as our roommates and where that house is going to be and how close is it to campus and are these people going to be the right sort of community or how how is this all going to work out? Part of it is what major should you graduate with? And I'm two, two years into college, but I don't feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Do I change my major, graduate a year later? Do I just load up on classes to get done in time? For those of you guys who are older, it's what job to take after graduating. Or do I go to grad school? I know that was a huge one for me of like, well, do I stay here and I take the safe job that I know I have? Or do I move across the country and take another job that's a little bit more insecure and I don't know what the future would hold? And even a lot of that can be how to know if this person that I'm dating is the person that I'm supposed to marry. And it's oftentimes in those situations, in those spaces, that we just need a little direction from people who maybe see it from a different perspective or they have a few more years of experience because they can speak into those situations with an amount of clarity that we can't see because we're right in the midst of it. And the scripture that we're going to study today is going to kind of serve as a case study for us. And it's going to serve as a case study because what it's going to do is it's going to handle those sorts of questions. And again, it's going to give us some guidance in terms of how to walk in in finding God's will and direction for our lives. And just to catch us up real quick, what we talked about last week was uh, Peter gets a vision of this big picnic blanket that comes down from heaven and everything. There are all of these animals on there. And he says, and the angel comes down, they tell they tell him, eats. He says, I don't, I know, like I'm a good Jew. I'm not going to eat these ceremonially unclean foods. And he struggles with what to do with this vision. And then there are two, three messengers that come from a man named Cornelius who also had a vision. And in his vision, he was basically told by God to go and to find Peter. So they find Peter, bring Peter back to Cornelius's household where there's this entire crowd of people waiting for him. And, and Peter shares the gospel message. And these people come to know Jesus right in this guy's living room. And it's at that moment that we see that the Holy Spirit comes down and fills these Gentiles for the very first time in the book of Acts. This is the moment where we see the mission of God broadening out to to include the Gentiles. Then Peter uh, goes back to Jerusalem after that experience, and he goes and he tells the Jerusalem church all of what just happened, and he explains all of it to them. And what's happening in Jerusalem is that the the persecution that the church is facing is increasing all the time. It's increasing all the time. And so this Jerusalem church is gradually kind of fleeing that persecution and moving to the outlying areas. Because what we see in uh, Acts chapter 12 is that Herod the king has James killed by the sword for following Jesus. Immediately following that, he imprisons Peter. And during the middle of the night, an angel of the Lord comes and lets him out of prison. And he goes and he tells all of the apostles and the disciples about this. And then they continue to kind of scatter all over the place. And it says that Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon because they came to him and they asked for peace because they relied on Herod's food for to be able to feed their country. And Herod gets up and he delivers this big speech before all of the people. And the people are amazed and they respond to his speech and they say, the voice of a God 
not of a man. And the next sentence is really, really interesting to me. It says, God immediately struck him down and he died because he did not give God the glory. And then it just moves on. There's like no explanation of that sentence in in Acts chapter 12. It just says, and he didn't give God the glory, so he died basically where he stood. Then it goes on and it says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem. So Barnabas and Saul are in Jerusalem and they're returning, they're traveling. And it says, and when they completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so they come back to the city of Antioch and we're gonna pick up the story here in Acts chapter 13. And it says now, starting in verse one, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And before we go anywhere else, what I want to do is I want to spend some time here with the names on this list. And what's most interesting about this group of people named is that it is is the cultural and social range of the people that are mentioned here. You have Barnabas, who is a Levite. You have Simeon, who was called Niger. And this is, uh, if you read the original Greek, this is, uh, it tells us that he was a black man. Lucius of Cyrene, and Cyrene was in Northern Africa. And so another person from Africa, and Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And Herod here is a ruler who is persecuting Christians, and he's named here, and then it says, and Saul. And Saul is a Pharisee educated under Gamaliel. And all of these people were acknowledged to be the people that God used to accomplish his purposes in Antioch. And it's really interesting, uh, the diversity of this group. And it's remarkable to me because this diversity of this group of people could only be possible because, and be in community with one another because of a foundation of knowing Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that could draw this diverse group of people together to live in a community, worshiping and serving together other than Jesus Christ. That is the foundation point for this because you have people of all different colors, shapes, sizes, social classes, religious status here in this moment. And what it demonstrates for us is that God does not call the qualified, God qualifies the call. Meaning that God doesn't call the people who come from the right family backgrounds, or from the right educational heritage, meaning they have all of the degrees to prove it, or the person who has all of the experience and the qualification, what we see here is that God calls people and uniquely equips them to do his work. And that means that there are people who have a lot of education. There are people with a lot of political power. There are people who have none of those things but they're existing and working together for the community of God because of a basis of a knowledge of the truth of the gospel. That is the only thing that can truly draw a diverse group of people into community together, is the truth of the gospel, who Jesus Christ was and what he did on the cross. And this was a huge sticking point for me when I first started following Jesus. I, was, I had these opportunities to lead and serve put in front of me, And I hesitated to take those opportunities because I didn't feel like I was ready. I didn't feel like I was ready. I didn't feel like I had all of my stuff figured out. I knew very well all of these blatant issues that were still in my life and stuff that I felt like I had to have figured out before I could be of service to God in any meaningful way. 
And in, in a word, what I felt is I, I just felt inadequate. I felt woefully inadequate to, to, do, to lead and to serve for God because I knew how broken and messed up I was as a human being. What God was ultimately trying to teach me during that was that he would be the one to equip me and qualify me for the things that he was calling me to. Because if I was going to wait until the moment that I was ready, that I felt ready, I still wouldn't be doing anything because I still don't feel ready. I still don't feel like I have all of my stuff figured out. I still don't feel like I have enough qualifications or expertise or education to do what I'm doing. And what God is saying is step out into the unknown with me and I'm going to be the person who's gonna make you adequate to the things that I call you to. It's not about what you bring to the table, it's about what I bring to the table. And that is on full display for us in the diversity of this group because they come from all of these different backgrounds and yet they are of use in the kingdom of God. Verse two says that while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. In the Greek word uh, in, in verse two, it says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. In the Greek word, and I don't, I don't love to talk about original language when I preach, but it, this one is significant. It's, it's a forzo. Ephorizo, I apologize. And that means set apart. If you go in and you look in your Greek lexicon, that verb means set apart. And this, this denotes the separation for, of clean and unclean. It separates clean and unclean, typically for use for a, a, a service or a sacrifice to God. So you see this in the Old Testament a lot, primarily in the book of Exodus, where they're called to set apart whether that's a blameless lamb or that's a calf, but these things have to be holy. They have to be without blemish to be of service in the kingdom of God. And what we see here is that Paul uses the same word in talking about himself in Romans 1.1 and in Galatians 1.15 to describe how he himself understands his own calling. And he, the use of this word helps us to understand that it is the Holy Spirit who sets apart. It is the Holy Spirit who sets apart and calls people to accomplish God's purposes. And we've been saying this for several weeks now that the main role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to enable people to witness to what God has done in their life. And so in this context, what the Holy Spirit is doing is he's calling uh, Saul and Barnabas to be set apart to uniquely witness to what they have seen and what they have experienced about God in their life. And so it's for a specific purpose that God calls them. As readers of Acts, we have this very unique advantage over Paul when we read this passage. We actually got to eavesdrop on, on the Lord's prophecy to Ananias several chapters before in chapter nine, we talked about that. And so we know something of Paul's future missionary task. We know that it's supposed to be to the Gentiles. And the practical problem in this text is that uh, is the manner by which Paul himself comes to understand that mission. So we already know it, but in this moment, what Paul is, is experiencing is some clarity in terms of where he's called to go and what he's called to do. And we in today's church would do well to follow, or, to follow a similar set of 
protocols of discerning when, uh, when to commission people for God's ministry. And what I mean by that is this. It, what's clear in this text is that spiritual discernment is not a private matter. That my understanding of God's call in my life is not just between me and God, but it includes my community. Paul and Barnabas are sent off by the laying on of hands of the church community that knows and cares for them which is incredibly personal and it's incredibly meaningful because the understanding that Paul and Barnabas are given missionary tasks tasks to perform comes through the Holy Spirit to the people who are leading in this community. We see that it's the community that's involved in discerning God's call on their life, not primarily Saul and Barnabas on their own. For this reason, like us being able to understand and determine God's direction for our life is possible only when the community is actively engaged in the process. And what they show us here is that they're actively engaged in spiritual practices. We see that they're worshiping, we see that they're fasting, and we see that they're praying together. And it's in those spaces that that we see that the, what the, uh, God's direction for our life. I was reading a scholar this week who said that the Holy Spirit does not communicate with God's people by religious osmosis meaning that when we walk inside of the four walls of the church, just somehow supernaturally, it just like comes inside of us and we instinctively know what God is calling us to do in our life. It doesn't work that way. The way it works is that our community is engaged in these spiritual practices with us and we come to this holistic understanding of what God is calling us to in our life. It doesn't just happen. It's not like a lightning bolt moment when you walk into the church. When I was a sophomore in college, I felt uh, the call to ministry for the first time. I hated what I was studying in school, and I was generally very dissatisfied with my life. And I had just come off of the summer where I had, uh, had, a, had a job interning in a church for the very first time. And I just thought there was something that unlocked deep inside of me for the first time where I really came alive. It was something that I just loved and I was passionate about. And going back to Columbus, Ohio, where the weather was terrible and I was in the middle of getting like a D in OCHEM, I was just like, this is the worst. I'm just so infinitely dissatisfied with my life. And I was feeling that the Lord was tugging on my heart and calling me towards ministry. And this meant that it was a radical shift in a a direction change for my life, which was a really scary thing for me to think about. And quite frankly, during that season of my life, I, I, considering this future of ministry caused me crippling anxiety. Just crippling anxiety because what I couldn't determine was whether that was something that I thought that I should be doing or it was actually discerning the will of God and the call of God on my life. And I'm so grateful for two things. And the first of which is a church community and the second of which is a, is a discipler who put up with me for four years in college. Because it's in those contexts with a community that loved me and that cared about me and somebody who was pouring into my life that it helped me to navigate that season and to find the clarity that I was so seeking. Because they were able to see God's calling and direction in my life when I, quite frankly, was caught up in my angst. I couldn't get out of the midst of my own feelings enough to see what God was actually doing in my life. And they encouraged me to pray and to fast, to seek God's direction for my life. And then they did those things with me. They did them alongside me. And it was only because of their influence that I came to understand God's direction for me more fully. And here's the thing. 
I can talk about my story of being called into ministry all I want. And that was a very clear thing from God. And most people in the seats are saying, I don't feel that call to ministry. I don't. Like that's not, I'm not called to vocational ministry, but we're all called to ministry. We are all called to ministry. Some of us to vocational ministry, most of us not. But we're called to ministry in the context and the jobs and the passions that we already have. We're called to share the love of God into those spaces. God calls, equips, and uses ordinary people, bankers, teachers, janitors, government officials, baristas, for his extraordinary work. Y'all serve on the front lines of God's kingdom. And if I'm going to be completely real with y'all for a second, working in a church and pastoring, most of the people that I spend my time with are people who already go to church. That's why they're meeting with me. They want to hang out with me because they're already like bought into what we're doing. You guys are the people actually out in the community, in your apartment complexes, in your classrooms, in your workplaces, meeting people and showing people the love of God into those spaces. We're all called to ministry in our lives. The purpose of faith is not to require people to withdraw from life like the monastic communities did where we just run away from all of life's problems. We just go and we pursue a life of God by ourselves. And it's not to enable people to succeed in the world as like modern self-help religion teaches where it's all about like achieving and getting all of your life dreams. But the purpose of faith is to empower people to be forces in God's kingdom in the context that they already inhabit. Here's one thing that I know for certain. The Holy Spirit sends. He doesn't hoard. He doesn't want us to get comfortable and insular, to become this holy huddle where we just talk about Jesus amongst ourselves. He's calling us to go. In the same way that he called Saul and Barnabas to go, he is calling us to go. And he will give us the direction required for where we go, but he's calling us to go. And we need to be focused on the overall mission, which is being sent out into a hurt and broken world desperately in need of Jesus. Paul and Barnabas are sent out under the protection and the calling of the Holy Spirit to do the work which God has called them to. And they travel together to several important cities of the Roman Empire in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, including Cyprian, Paphos, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And you need a map to start to make sense of all of the places that they go. But the point is they go. They go. They embrace the, God, the call that God had on their life, and they go. And my question for y'all is, where is God calling you to go? Where is God calling you? Have you ever considered that question? Have you ever thought about God's will for your life? Have you ever thought about the, the context in which you already inhabit and the ways in which God wants to use you in those spaces? Where is God calling you to go? For some of us that, us that will be vocational ministry, for some of us that will be going overseas and sharing with hurting and broken people in a different country, but for the vast majority of us, it's gonna be in our offices. It's gonna be in our classrooms. It's gonna be in our homes. It's gonna be in our families. 
the context in which we already inhabit. Where is God calling you to go? Go doesn't mean to go far. It just means to be engaged in God's mission to the world around us. And if you're saying he isn't calling you, I would challenge you with this. The Holy Spirit wants to send you. That is God's desire is to use you as an agent for change in his mission to the world. It's up to our willingness on whether we go. Truly, it's up to us. When I was uh, working out at camp, I had the the great privilege of working with the wilderness program out there. And one of my favorite trips that I got to go on and then in turn started to get to guide was we would drive to deep southern Utah to a little tiny, we didn't even go to the town, but the closest town is called Hanksville. Hanksville, Utah. And in Hanksville, there's pretty much one activity that reigns supreme, and it's called canyoneering. Canyoneering is, the basic premise is that you start at the end of a canyon, and you hike all the way up to the top of it, and then you have to rappel and down climb and hike your way all the way out. And so the first time that I went, I had this image in my head of what this was going to look like, which was very wrong. Can you put up the first picture for me? And so what we did is we, we would go and there was, when you get to the top of the canyon, it just looks like this hole in the ground. I don't know if we have that picture where it just looks like a hole in the ground, but you get to the top and there's just this hole in the ground and it looks incredibly underwhelming when you get there. You're like, I just hiked for several miles in the hot desert and I got all the way up here and this looks really lame. Truly, it just looks like a pothole in the ground. You're like, cool. So then the water goes that way. Like, why did I come all the way up here? And it was only when we got down into that canyon and actually started to do it, when you really got into the element of the unknown and you didn't know what was around the next corner, that the adventure of it all became very real. And in the adventure of canyoneering, what you really got into was just there was magnificent beauty in it. There's something truly captivating about being, yeah, that's the top of the canyon. It looks kind of lame. It looks super lame. And then you get to the other pictures, and once you get down inside of it, it is stunningly beautiful. Stunningly beautiful. But what if you settled for the view at the top, you never would have seen any of this stuff. You never would have seen anything because you just would have quit and said, oh, that was cool and novel. And it was worth seeing. But I'm going to move on to something that looks better. It's only when you decided to actually go into that and to go to lean into that adventure, you actually got to the really beautiful part of it. That you got to see the real worth and the value of the experience was when you leaned in and you did, and you just decided to go for it. And what I think is that we have a tendency to view life, a life of faith as something cool that adds to our life, but that's about it. Like it's something that's novel, it's something that's unique, it's a great moral code for me to live by, it secures my my eternity in heaven, but it stops at that level. Much like this canyon, from the top, it just looks like a hole in the ground. Looks like something new that would be worth walking to, to go travel to, but that's about it. It doesn't have much value. But it's only that when we get down into the midst of it, that we go deeper to really explore what it looks like in there, that the beauty and the adventure comes alive for us for the very first time. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. It wants us to to take us from the casual observer that just stands 
at the top of the canyon and says that this is cool and it's novel and it's something that has some value but not a lot and it wants to take us deeper. It wants to take us far deeper than probably most of us are willing to go. And it wants to take us into a place of unknown and into a place of trust. Because when the Holy Spirit calls, we don't know what that's going to look like. When God says go, the vast majority of the time is we don't have the right plan and the strategy all figured out so that we know exactly what this is going to look like. There's an element of unknown. And what God wants to do is he wants to work in the unknown so that you come to know the adventure of following him and the beauty that's in that. But it takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of bravery on our part to say yes to what God wants to do in our life. And so I ask you guys again, where is God calling you to go? I would urge you, I would plead with you to begin to pray about that this week. To begin to think and to fast and to meditate and to pray on God, where are you calling me to go? What contexts are you calling me to be a force for your kingdom into these spaces? What relationships, what friends, what family, what classmates, what job and work setting? God, I want to go. To lean into the unknown and a little bit of fear that goes with that. Because I promise you, God is faithful. God is faithful to provide into those spaces. My life serves as a living proof of that. Paulina's life serves as a living proof of that. When we got to college, our intentions were not to end up here. <laughs> my intent, I had a plan for my life. I had it all worked out. I had the four-year plan, the 10-year plan, and then the 25-year plan. I knew what I wanted to do with my life and it didn't look like this. I thought that the plan that I had for my life was adventurous. I thought the plan that I had for my life was going to be fun. I thought it was gonna include all of this unknown and that it would take me to these amazing places. But it was only when I said yes to what Jesus wanted to do with my life that I actually lived into the adventure that God had for me. I leaned into my fear, I leaned into the unknown, and I have seen God has just been so faithful to show me the beauty of the life he's called me to. And it's led me to this point. And that choice begins with us today, saying yes to God and going where he calls us to go. So my prayer is that you guys begin to discern that, that you guys begin to ask that question for yourselves and that you guys would be willing to go when he says that here's the direction. Let me pray. Thanks again for tuning in to the Crosstalk Messages podcast. Make sure you are following Crosstalk on social media at Crosstalk underscore TXST. If you have any questions for the Crosstalk team, you can send us a message on those pages. We will see you here again next week.